Welcome to the Path of Passion podcast, the podcast where we interview people who are living lives that they love, that they're passionate about. I am your handsome host, Jordan, and this is my convivial co-host. Hey, I'm the uh, less attractive co-host, Tyler. <laughs> and today we are, have Jake joining us. Now, Jake runs the ramen factory, the ramen workshop, the dream workshop, Yume Wo Katare. Uh, Y-U-M-E-W-O-K-A-T-A-R-E. And it is, if I might say so myself, the best ramen shop, if not in greater Boston, eh, than at least the entire United States, I think. So with that being said, <laughs> Jake, how did you get into the ramen world? Uh, it chose me. Best answer possible. <laughs> so so to say. Guys, we're done here with the interview. Like, let's wrap it up. <laughs> yes. It literally chose me. Because I... Yeah. I... I am not interested in cooking ramen. <laughs> How did you um, go from not interested in cooking ramen to cooking so much ramen? Um, it's a good question. I think so. Um, so, so Siyoshi Nishoka he opened up Yume Okatare, and on the sign outside, on the sign outside, it says Yume Okatare until 2030, and that was uh created by him, and he said that every dream has an end date. So by 2030, um, he hopes to accomplish his biggest picture and what he wants. And um, I can go in that a little bit later, uh, what that meant. Uh, however, for me, I was like, well, that wasn't my dream initially. What, what do I do? What should I accomplish by 2030? So for me, what I want to accomplish by 2030 is that in the duration of Yume being open from now to 2030, my dream is just to cook good ramen. So when you come to Yume Okatare, you're not eating or experiencing the end result. You're paying $15 of for me to figure out how to be cooking ramen. That's what you're experiencing. It's me working on a dream. Uh, and that simply is to cook good ramen. And it, it's going to take me from now to, I think, 2030 to accomplish. So, I mean, like, I already think Yume is the best ramen like i mean it is objectively the best ramen i've ever had so like, i just i'm curious what improvements are there like i mean from like a very naive perspective like myself um so that's the funny thing about this ramen so like we serve like one dish only right and yep. um for you as the customer to continue to like this one dish it needs, I think the number one rule for anybody is consistency, right? Like, 
you know, one of my favorite meals in the world and will ever forever be my favorite meal in the world is a Big Mac with some fries. Like, That's that super, I mean, it's the secret sauce, right? Like, right. <laughs> like a McDonald's Big Mac and McDonald's fries. I love it. And I don't eat it often. I eat it once a year. Um, but it's like one of my favorite meals in the world. And I know that every single time I go to a McDonald's, it's going to be that consistent taste no matter what. Um, so for me, for you guys as a customer is to have that consistent taste on the back end of it. I need to like improve the rest, like improve the ramen every single day, because if I don't improve the ramen, you will, you as a customer will feel like it's has gone lower in quality. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, uh, I mean, it's the idea that like, if you're not striving for your best, if you're just striving to be the exact same, you know, if you have a hiccup, you're going to fall below versus just fall down to that norm. Yeah. So, um, like, I'm not like a chef. Like, I don't like, in my spare time, I do not cook. I don't cook anything. So, like, I'm not, like, I was never, like, culinarily trained or I've never worked in a restaurant before. I've never done any of these things before. Um, and I started only doing these things in the last six years. But prior to that, I was a, uh, an analyst. I graduated business school. And I just sat in a cubicle for eight hours a day. And I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and Yume was the first restaurant that I ever worked in. Uh, I mean, I worked at like Subway when I was 16. But that wasn't really a restaurant, you know. Um, and yeah, Yume was like the first restaurant I ever worked at. And uh, to me, because I worked under Siyoshi, and he is Japanese. I've basically been trained under Japanese discipline as my first restaurant experience. And that is extremely rare in America. So when I talk to other chef friends and people that are in the industry, the restaurant industry, the things they say, I have no idea what they're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, there's just, like, like all this, like, chef talk and all this stuff. I have no idea. Even, like, like uh, it was only, like, last year I learned what front of house and back of house meant. Really? <laughs> okay. Okay. And, um, and for the listeners who aren't familiar, could you just clarify what front and back of house are? Like, front of house is all the people, like, like it sounds like the front of the house taking care of the customers, you know, the host the waitresses, the bartenders, and all that stuff. Back of the house, the kitchen staff, the dishwashers. And, you know, they, they never go to the front of the house. They're always back of the house, right? And at Yume, there is no front or back of the house. It's literally one house. One house. <laughs> and it's like, you know, even me saying that right now, it's like it, 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 it makes me just also realize Every time you as a customer walk into the door, what you're experiencing is a performance, you know, every night, right? Like, um, uh, so 
So this is why I say I'm not a chef. When I first came to Yume, I what fascinated me the most was the dream concept. And I wanted to be the best host possible. I wanted to learn how to be a better public speaker. I wanted to learn how to articulate well and learn how to, uh, like, I'm so fascinated by storytelling that I just, I'm so envious of storytelling and people that can tell good stories. And that's something I'm really bad at. So I'm like working on that. And when I was a host at Yumo Katare, I was really good at it after a while because I, I wanted it so badly. And, you know, the first year that I was the host of Yume Okate, because when you're the host of Yume Okate, you're considered the face of Yume. Not the chef, the host, right? right the, chef, yeah. the chef doesn't really matter. It's like the host. And the host is like the first person you see, the first person you meet. And the first year I was the host, we collected uh, 20,000 dreams. So we started collecting the number of dreams. And then the second year I was host, our goal was 40,000. Because we're like, oh, okay, 20,000 so easy. Let's double that. 40,000 was hard. Right? Did you hit it? it? Was, yeah, we hit it. Nice. We had like 41 or 42,000. Damn. But it was so hard. Like, we had to think of strategies on strategies on strategies of how to hit 41,000. I remember like, I remember, uh, let's see, what did we do? Uh, for example, we would say, like, if you share 10 dreams, we'll give you a free bowl of ramen. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, like, like near the end of, like, the 41, like, the 40, like 39, we were, like, so desperate for dreams that, you know, we asked the first six customers to share you know, 10 dreams and we'll, we'll, we offered them the free bowl of ramen, right? But then yeah. there was a precedent that everyone shares 10 dreams. So for the rest of the night, everyone was just naturally sharing 10 dreams, you know? Uh, but that's that a strategy that we use to get dreams. Like yeah. we're not like, you know, like, you know, you know, like when you go to a restaurant, like the host comes over and they're just like, oh, like, would you like another drink and stuff like that? It's the strategy they use to, you know, uh, increase your bill. At UMA, we're not, we're looking to increase the dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just to interject a bit, like, cause so people who haven't been to UMA, Jay, could you, um, go in and describe like, what is sharing your dream? Like that experience for people who haven't been to UMA? For people who um, have not. Okay. Wow. I haven't done this concept speech in a while because of COVID. <laughs> it's I'm still getting back into it, you know, because we recently opened again for dining. Um so at Yumil Katare, it's not a ramen shop, it's a dream shop. And what we do there is we serve my customers a lot of food. Um, but not too much, just enough that it's challenging for the customer. And the concept that is you if you can finish this bowl of ramen, you can finish any dream that you have in mind so while eating we ask customers to think about a dream that they really want to accomplish just think about it 
And then as they're trying to finish this bowl, use that dream as, you know, your motivator to accomplish that dream. And there's this feeling that you get inside, you know, and we want customers to remember that feeling, that good, good feeling of accomplishing something. And it gets associated with that dream. And because it's associated at the end of the meal, when you're done, we just simply ask customers, hey, would you like to share what you've been thinking about? And, you know, customers will either share or not share. And that's like the concept of sharing the dreams that you make. And, um, yeah, I'm getting all excited thinking about it because I haven't done this for like a year and a half. Yeah, honestly, I've missed it. Like that, Yume has such a distinctive community and culture that does not exist at any other dining establishment. And I, I love it for that. Like it, it, it very much feels like a, a community of, a, a community of complete strangers when you walk in where everyone cheers you on for you saying what your dream is. It, it's, I, I really love what it presents. Be, I mean, I also love the food. The food is amazing, <laughs> but the culture is very unique in the best way possible. And I'm actually really excited that you guys are open for in, indoor seating now because I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to there. Please. I'm, I'm always waiting. Because like, so like Jake, I actually happened to live like a block from Yume and I happened to walk by and saw <laughs> you guys had seating like yesterday, I think it was. Is is it officially now sit down with the, uh, have the COVID restrictions been lifted enough or? I've, I've opened since June 1st. No, I mean, but I mean like sitting in, oh, oh, actually June 1st sitting in the restaurant? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Oh. Well, we well, need to go. I, I, uh, I actually, I actually haven't made any public announcements on it. Uh, the reason why is because I wanted to ease back into dining. And I know how sensitive COVID has been on and for people. So when I opened again for dining, I didn't want to just announce it, have a bunch of people come and lose the hospitality, lose the service, lose the quality. So I didn't, I made it, I just didn't announce it. And I just kind of let, you know, word of mouth do its thing. Um, just so that we can figure out a good system so that everybody feels safe, everyone feels comfortable, everyone's relaxed and it's not tense because, you know, and surprisingly, people are really comfortable with sitting next to each other. Yeah, like really comfortable, like, like, you know, arms and arms. I was like, wow, I did not realize how comfortable people have gotten. And, you know, things are really looking really good. I definitely like alluding to what Jordan said about you may being like a very unique experience. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's one thing to miss restaurants, but with COVID, it's another thing to miss a community. And like, I think people are just really wanting to jump right back into it because it's been so long. It's really hard. You know, it's, it's one thing, obviously, you know, it's, it was scary, especially when you, when you weren't vaccinated that um, the medical issues that could arise for COVID and the risks, but it's also 
the mental toll of not being around a community, I can kind of understand why people just want to jump right back into it. Yeah. That's interesting because like when you say mental toll of not being in a community, that's kind of like what I experienced a little bit because I didn't get to work with so many people. You know, I, um, yeah, last year has been tough. I, you know, you, I, cause like, it's like, um, I, so I went from working with multiple different people every week to two people, uh, because I was trying to keep a very small circle of people so that none of us get sick and it was reliable because for me, um, I have too much, I have too much risk, you know, like, and what I mean by that is that if I get sick, like the restaurant needs to close. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the amount of, you know, like the amount of dedication that I put into making this bowl of ramen, I can't ask of that dedication of anyone really. Um, because that dedication just goes for me, I think goes beyond, beyond what, you know, you can, you can ask of someone. Um, and, you know, the funny thing that my, one of my uh, employees said to me, he's like, why don't you just hire a, like a, a, like a shoe chef? I think that's what they call it, shoe chef, something like that. I just wanted to be spoiled. Yep. And, um, and I think it's like, you know, Katre, we don't hire chefs. A chef is chosen. You know, like you need to work and dedicate yourself to this craft to be able to produce this product. And I think, you know, this, this podcast is about like the, the path of passion, right? So like, I'm kind of like switching gears on you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about how I spent four. So the soup takes about 14 hours to cook. Right. Damn. Okay. So because okay. the soup takes 14 hours to cook. So when we, I say, hey, the soup takes 14 hours to cook. Uh, let me switch the perspective for you. I work 14 hours a day. Right. So, you know, um, and when I realized like that's the biggest thing, what, what task takes the longest in your profession? Cooking soup, it takes 14 hours. So what can I accomplish in 14 hours? You know? Uh, so then I fill up my time with what is, what does equate to quality? Make your own noodles. Right, you make your own noodles. You make your own soup. You, you do everything. And I think, for quality purposes, if you have somebody that does everything, then the quality will always be the best it can be. Um, and I've over the years let other people make like noodles and other stuff like that, and I see a drop in quality. But I want them to improve. I want them to improve. So we have, we always have drops in quality. Uh, but then 
it always goes back to, hey, like, I if when I do everything by myself, uh, that's where I know the quality would be the highest possible quality. Um, I hope I, I, I want to let you guys talk because I, I feel huh. like I can talk forever. Well, actually, on those points, exactly. How do you thread that needle of like, you know, you know, the product best, you know, that you can make the most quality ramen, but at the same time, you want, if I understand, you want other people to have the opportunity to learn and grow better themselves. How do you balance between growth opportunities for others and making sure you deliver the best product possible? You know how I mentioned earlier, I can't ask anyone to do what I do. Yep. I feel like because to like really break it down, uh, I woke up one day and decided that I really want to do this. On that day, I stopped playing Call of Duty. Um, yep. On that day, I stopped playing Call of Duty, one of my favorite games in the world. On that day, I stopped watching TV shows. On that day, I stopped going out Fridays and Saturday nights. On that day, I stopped doing things that provided me no value. I stopped hanging out with friends that were not going anywhere in life and other than other than company is all they provided and that was the only thing that they provided i started focusing on making friends that were better than me or friends that were just provided me with some kind of value teaching me something you know um that was a day like when i decided i wanted to do this you you just literally like I know that I will never have children I don't want children because what I want to accomplish I will not have the capability of being a good father but also doing what I do to the best of my capability impossible literally impossible and I feel like when I accepted that was when I, a lot of things unlocked for me in terms of doing, doing what I do. Uh, so when you say like, how do you thread the noodle, the needle, you sacrifice so much. Like you literally sacrifice so much of the things that you used to do so that you can be great at something. Like, I don't like, like when I die, I want to be great at something. I want to be like, I want to build a legacy, right? And to accomplish that, I need to like focus all my energy on this project, right? Um, so that's like how you, like I became like a minimalist where I don't really need a lot of things in my life. Like uh, uh, I really follow Zuckerberg's example of clothing. Like I have the same pair of shorts and the same shirt. When I wake up, I don't have to think about what I need to wear. 
the first thing I think about is how do I make good noodles today? Right? Not like spending hours or even uh, to me, because my day is so busy doing what I love, five minutes is I can accomplish a lot in five minutes. Right? Um, like, uh, like, do you guys follow us on Instagram? Yep, I, I, I do. Yes. I don't yeah, think Jordan I, has an Instagram, unfortunately. So a lot of my like Instagram stories uh, is developed in five minutes. Because uh, I have like, so I decide that after I wake up and then I do my morning routine, I have five minutes to accomplish an IG story. If I can't do anything in those five minutes, it's not worth my time. I need to move on and not like dilly dally for the rest of the day trying to figure out. So once I get that Instagram idea, I have one hour to produce it and then post it. And that's, that's that. So, uh, when I have five minutes in like my line of work, it produces like better results. So like, if I want to make really good news, if I wake up and I have to decide what clothes to wear and I lose five minutes, I lose five minutes of developing how to make good noodles that morning, you know, and just removing all these like decisions out of my life that I had to make, like what I'm going to eat tonight or stuff like that. Um, I just eat one thing a day. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense. It's like, it, it's the best ramen and possibly arguably one of the, I think it might be the best food in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But I don't think it's the best. You know, I'm still striving for that, for it to be better. Um, and I always ask customers, like, what could be better about it? What could be better about it? Like, I need to know, you know? So um, all these things you're saying, you seem to be very invested and passionate about ramen. But earlier you said you're not that excited about making ramen like you're not really in it for making ramen what how do those two things coincide how do how does that all work together because i don't feel like okay this is a really good question <sighs> so in japan right they don't consider this type of ramen ramen at all. What it's do they consider it though? Isn't this Jiro style ramen? Yeah, but it's not traditional ramen. So, you know, for example, like um, let's 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 think about it. Um, have you ever been to Chinatown and? You go to one of those like eateries that have like um it's like a noodle soup and it's like yellow noodles and it comes with like you know um barbecue pork red pork and like bok choy yep. and all that stuff yep why isn't that considered ramen noodles i just assumed the thickness well because isn't it it's more like in a curry sauce than a, a soup i guess I, but there's, I don't know. there's curry ramen oh i don't know then right it's not considered ramen so 
like it's it's a considered just noodle soup but it's yellow noodles it's thin noodles you get like chicken broth you have all the elements of ramen there why isn't it ramen right uh you know i don't know that i don't know the question i don't know the answer to that but same thing with but the same thing with this uh gerald style ramen it's really not it was for a while not considered ramen in japan it was later on that it was considered ramen um and for me that's the same thing. I never liked ramen growing up. I'll dabble, I'll eat it in. I'm like, oh, ramen, nice. Okay, cool. When I ate yume okate for the first time, I was like, whoa, what is this? What is this? I don't know what this is, but I love it. I love it so much. I can eat it every single day for the past six years. I literally eat this bowl of ramen every single day. And, and, you know, like it's so when I'm cooking it and learning about it and stuff like that, I'm not making ramen. I'm making some noodle dish that the world thinks is ramen. And like, I'm not interested in like all these other ramens. Uh, but because it's considered ramen, I do my research. Like, oh, okay. You know, I don't cook shio ramen. I don't cook shoyu ramen. I don't cook miso ramen. I don't cook all these things, right? Um, because I'm not interested in making ramen. You know, we have these ramen chefs that will cook like, you know, two to three or four different types of ramens. And they're about cooking really good ramen and stuff like that. And you have the egg and you have the nori sheets. And, you know, this is traditional ramen. And there's like kind of like all this like nuances in the in the broth and all these complexities and thing like that and that's what I think ramen is something really refined and for you know kantere this noodle dish is just something that just you just want to eat and feel like this is something that's like very homey very like it's like like a home like a really hearty home-cooked meal, right? Is that how you guys feel when you eat it? I mean, I feel, I have like two different opinions on it. One is I definitely feel very, like it does feel very home-cooked. Like I'd like being Irish, I can compare it to like shepherd's <laughs> pie or like Guinness stew. It's very warm and filling. Um, but at the same time, like Jordan and I are both like big fans of Gordon Ramsay. And there is... There's a lot in modern cooking, there's this idea of simplicity going back to less ingredients is more. And when I see yume, I tend to think it's more refined because there's less conflicting flavors. There's more focus on making that broth as good as you can make it, making the noodles as good as you can have it, instead of having like 13 different ingredients that may or may not go with each other. So I think there's this beauty in the simplicity of it. And actually, to follow up on that. Um, I love that the in-person menu of Yume is ramen with pork or ramen with more pork. You know exactly <laughs> what you're going to get, and it's amazing. And and honestly, that's that's all you need to know because it, that is pork dense, but it's so delicious. And like it's pork, it's garlic, it's goodness, and the noodles just soak it in great without losing their texture yeah um uh, it, it 
you are right in saying that it's not delicate like a lot of other ramens, but for me, that is to its strength because it, it it's to me, it's like your Jiro ramen is taking a stand, like we are pork incarnate, we are like this is just filling warm goodness, and it, it it's it feels so unabashed, and I. I, I just love that um, strong-headedness of the dish. It, it feels very fun. Like it, it feels like an experience. Yeah, I mean, it makes me want to share my dream, right? Like yeah. it's it's hearty. It's a lot, and <laughs> even if I don't finish the bowl, I went on a journey, and that mattered. You know, that's really funny. You say that you went on a journey because. Uh... In Japan, um, when they serve the bowl, um, they say, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on a word. They say something, they say, um, itarashai. Um, and um, I asked somebody, what does that mean? And uh, he told me that when you say itarashai, it means to go and come back. Um, and basically, like, when you're eating a bowl of ramen, you're going on a journey. And after you accomplish this journey, please come back. So that's like the loose translation of it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. when, you know, they don't, they don't say enjoy. They say, you know, please go and come back. Um, so when you're eating this bowl of ramen, you know, you're going on a journey. And then when you share your dream, it's like, you just came back to me to share. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. Yeah. You know. So speaking of your dream, uh, so you, you mentioned like overnight going from like playing COD, having like time on the weekends and, and having relationships where it was more just like um, companionship versus like growth and working towards your overall dream. What, what was that transition process like? Because I, I feel like that the ability, not necessarily the ability, but the being in the mindset of being like, this, this is what I want to pursue. I feel like that is an ideal for some, but they don't necessarily know the path to get there. Like they don't know, they, they, they've seen what it's like to be there, but for you, what was it like to get there? Oh, damn. The hard hitting questions, Jordan. <laughs> Oh, wow. It was probably, so, long time ago, somebody asked me this question. What is the hardest thing you have ever did? And I really couldn't really answer that question. I was like, what's the hardest thing I ever did? Ever did, and I was like thinking to myself, 
Uh, the hardest thing I ever did was I kayaked this like extremely like uh, like wavy river or something like that. And like you have to kayak and it's like very dangerous. Like, that's the hardest thing I ever did. And, and then at one point in my life, I'm like, really? Like that's the hardest thing you ever did? And then I was just, and then like, and then I asked myself like that question again, like what's the hardest thing I ever did? And I was like, that's not that hard. You're just like kayaking, like, okay. Um, and I thought, I mean, what else did I do? That was really hard. Um, I got up to like 50 push-ups, And then I, you know, I, when I said these things to myself, I was like, that's not really anything. Like, you know, I graduated college, but like, that was fine. So then literally doing what I do now is the hardest thing I have ever did in my life. And because it's the hardest thing I've ever did in my life, like when you're in like the state of like, you know, like, uh, man, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, uh, you know, like when you're driving and you're playing music yep, and you get lost, right? And when you get lost, the first thing you do is turn down the music, right? Yeah, you need to Every like... Every time, yeah. Yeah, you like, you got to focus. So it's just like, I feel like I'm doing the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and I'm completely lost. I just got to turn off the music. got to turn off the video game. You know what I mean? I gotta just shut everything out. And and just focus on doing this. You know? I, I I literally and after realizing that it just became easier and easier and easier. But it was hard. It's really hard. Like the hardest things like I have to go through are just like besides running a business and like and then like just like people. There's so many things. Like um I used to have Peers. I used to have coworkers. I used to have colleagues. I don't have that anymore. I don't have a coworker. I have an employee. I don't have a colleague because I don't consider myself a chef. So I really can't connect to other chefs. You know? So when you're at the top of what you do, the hardest thing is like it's a really lonely life you know like you don't have these things and it took me a really a long time to accept that and enjoy it um because when you're transitioning from having coworkers and people that you can rely on as like a buddy and you don't have that anymore it's really hard on you you know how do you come to, if not embrace, at least accept that loneliness? Huh. Do you? Do you? It's a good question. It's because when you're doing what you love every day, that is providing you with enough company. And 
realizing that the people that come within your company are there to see what's going on in your life. And paying gratitude to the people that's around me really helped me be present with what I'm doing and focusing on what I need to accomplish, accomplish which is making this the best ramen I can. Um, and that is just like a subset dream of my biggest dream. The biggest dream is um, ensuring that Yumeo Katare stays open so that I can help people accomplish their dreams. That is the number one thing that I love to do is to help people figure out what they want to do with their lives and accomplish that dream. And, and that's like what brings me to the fulfillment, right? So like when you get used to having friends and get used to having colleagues and going out Fridays and Saturday nights and having a huge social life and all these things, and you, you switch to a different lifestyle, it takes you a while for you to learn gratitude, right? Um, it takes you to learn gratitude that, whoa, every night I see so many different people. It's always fun to see your face when you walk in and I know who you are and you know who I am. And we share a moment, um, you know, and there are three types of friends that you meet in this life. Um, the first type is, you know, your ride or die. It's the people that, you know, you stick with for the rest of your life, your parents, whatever. The other person is the people that you meet once and then you never see them ever again. You, you know, that happens a lot. And the third type of person, and this is my favorite type, is the, the type of person you meet, you spend some good time with, and then you leave. You guys separate, and then maybe, let's say a week, a month, years from the line, you meet again, you share your experiences in life, and then you separate, right? That is my favorite kind of life experience. So every night when you guys come in and we get to spend time enjoying each other's company, I get to spend a moment with you. And then when you leave to go accomplish your dream and come back and be like, hey, yo, I did this. Like that is what makes me feel like I have a lot of friends, you know? So yeah. that's how I just got, I was like, oh, like not a lot of people get to have this. I'm fortunate enough to have this. So I paid gratitude to it. So I, I, I got, that's how I climbed out. You know what I mean? Um, how do you think, how do you feel about the interview so far? Just want to take like a. Oh yeah. I mean. I think it's going great. I mean, like, it's funny. No one's actually ever asked this in the middle of the interview, but uh, I'm, I, it's just, you know, I guess you're the fourth person Jordan and I have interviewed. And it's one thing is just learning kind of how you were just saying, like meeting people um, and then they go away for a while and they come back into your life and you get to share those experiences. Um, a lot of the, you know, us just starting out a lot of the interviews have been people we already know that we're friends with that we don't necessarily see on a regular basis. And so it's been really interesting to see like their, um, their points of view and how they've come to live 
to walk um, a path of passion. Yeah. And also like, it's a story that I think is one of the things that I'm loving about this story and hearing your story is pretty, very consistent is the story of people who did eventually find something that they love is it not being an easy path and often coming with a lot of sacrifice. Like for for some, like one of our previous guests, uh, Jared, went from being an investment banker to a bartender, and that comes with a pay cut and a, like a, a way of living cut, but his life is a lot more happy and he's a lot more filled for taking that jump. And so it's, it's interesting to see the different levels of sacrifice that people will take to pursue the ways of life that they love and what that actually looks like. Like... It's it's a narrative not often told, and I have really enjoyed hearing what the like de raw details are of your journey, and, and just what that's been like. Um, and and actually, uh, along those lines, um, do you do you do you think some of this mindset, this mentality? came from the previous owner like and is that like why he gave the business to you or like what what was what is that relationship like with was it suyoshi yeah yeah what was that relationship like it's so fun working with him it's literally like the the best time of my life like no matter how skilled it's like it's funny the, the, the best way I'll describe this is at one point in our relationship we started playing chess nice yeah and it got so intense that he's at home with his wife and kids and I'll just call him up and I'll be like hey you want to play chess He's like, right now. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, I'm like at home with my wife and kids. I'm like, yeah, like right now. And he's like, okay. So I just go over to his house and we sit down, we play chess. And, you know, we were like very, like, we were like very consistent, like almost back and forth, back and forth. And then one day he just excelled like exponentially. And I was just like, what is going on? And this is, the premise of who he is and our relationship. When I got better at making ramen and catching up to him and making good ramen, he just excelled exponentially every single time. And him excelling exponentially, I couldn't keep up. Like it was too much. Like, and like I, when I, you know, when I just think about it, like when you can't keep up or when you can't, you can't, it's like, you know, people might get upset at you or, you know, you lose that, you know, you drift further and further away. And that's kind of like what ended up happening uh, because he was excelling at such an exponential rate that he couldn't teach me anything new. I need to have someone that's a little bit closer to my skill set and my skill range for me to learn because the things he, he, he is doing in his ramen 
is so far advanced than me that I have, I don't have the capacity to understand it. Yeah. So is he, is he, where is he making ramen? Is it back in Japan right now then? Or is it in the States or? I actually have not checked in with him for a little bit. But he, the last I know, he went back to Japan and then he, he opened up an udon shop in Japan. Um, and it's called I Want to See You Smile. Um, and that's the last thing I know. Um, but, you know, uh, my relationship with him is great. Um, we, you know, he's busy doing his own thing. And like I said earlier, the best type of relationship is you guys do your own thing and then you come back eventually. You know what I mean? So I will come back eventually with Siyoshi. And that's when I can, that's when we update. That's when I get the full update. You know what I mean? Like I'm not like keeping up to date with him, you know, every week or month or stuff like that. Yeah. How, as someone who is passionate about the way of, your style of noodle dish, not ramen, not ramen, but your style of noodles, and is dedicating their life to it, how do you, this might sound a bit weird, how do you deal with seeing someone so much farther? Like, is that disheartening, or do you see that as a guidepost, or what? what is that, what is that like? Well, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were talking about how Suyoshi, um, as a working with noodles in general, you described him being so much more advanced than you that it was hard for you to even keep up. And, but at the same time, you're dedicating yourself to this craft. So, like, I could imagine that being intimidating. And for some people, I could imagine that being disheartening. But, how how do you perceive it like how how did you experience being surrounded by a genius i was trying to keep up but then when i realized that if you go to the grand the grand finale with a genius the audience recognize that you're not on the same level right I wasn't, I just wasn't on the same level. And in realizing that the, I guess, embarrassment of not being on the same level is stronger than, you know, not being able to keep up. I don't even want to call it an embarrassment, but it's just like, it's more uh, encouraging to know that the level gets that high. Right. So does he serve then like as like a beacon or a lighthouse in the distance, like where you want to go? Like yeah. the ultimate, like, like kind of like how, you know, if you're a white belt in like Taekwondo and then you, there's like a fourth level black belt, like it kind of, it, it's a place you can get to, you know, if you stick with it, you can eventually get there. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's, I, I find that really interesting because I think when seeing someone many times farther than you in something you're passionate about, there can be two responses. One is the response that you have taken, which is to see that person 
as I will constantly strive to be better so that I can reach that better, like that ideal. Um, but I, I will admit for myself, um, I, I, I used to be pursuing physics. Uh, I wanted to be a physics professor. Um, then I made it into MIT and I saw some people who I, I thought I was smart. And then I saw some people who their freshman year, their homework answers to graduate level classes were being used as the official answer guide to the classes. As freshmen, they, their answer guide was the graduate school's answer guide. And, and their first year, they were doing like three different research studies. And I realized as a, if I wanted to be a physics professor, I would have to compete against that. And my take was find a different field for me to win in, to succeed in, because this one, like seeing my competition in here with the narrow opportunities, I didn't like my chances. So for me, it's really interesting to see someone who's, who faced with that insurmountable obstacle decides to chase that obstacle anyway, like chase that dream regardless. It's just, it, it's a different take than I, I've personally taken in life. And I, I think it's really interesting to see and hear. Well, I have a very simple solution for you. Yeah, what up? You said that it's disheartening to see all these like younger people have their example be used on the test or something like that, right? It, it was disheartening to see a peer being multiple, like a peer, not like in my, in age and in position in life be effectively like half a decade ahead of me and, and knowing that I would have to compete against him. Well, that's the thing. You, you want to compete against him. So that's where, that's where the trouble lies. So when I see somebody that's better than me, but let's say, let's say, uh, I'll, I'll use the example of to keep things simple. Um, I used to seek people that were better than me that also age range, right? So if you're older than me, you're more knowledgeable. If you're younger than me, you're not as knowledgeable. And basically, if I'm hearing you right, are you saying like, in, in using my example, if a younger person is at the higher person's level and you have to compete against that, that's disheartening. Am I hearing it that way? Am I hearing it correctly? Basically, yeah. Okay. So when I experienced that, I realized that I don't want to compete with this younger person. I want to befriend them and start studying under them. Because if they're going to get there and if you're under them, you'll get there with them. If you're competing with them and they get there, you're not with them. They're there and you're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, the previous episode uh, before this, we interviewed my dance teacher and I started dancing um, his style of dance like two years ago 
at like 26 and there is obviously people who start dancing at like you know eight years old so there is people that are grandmasters in terms of dance much even younger than i am and i i definitely understand what you're getting at with that jake is i have always viewed them as you know sean my dance teacher might bring in someone younger than me to keep uh to also teach but that has always been someone i viewed as i can expand my community that's someone else i could learn from and share uh their experiences with not someone i was uh trying to compete with mm. yeah that's an interesting point because i and, and this might just be just the mindset that i've had for a while that i haven't really challenged is i i've always thought of i i I very frequently thought in terms of competition and in like having a growth oriented mindset, yes, but not necessarily the idea of actively seeking people who intimidate me and trying to learn from the, like grow from mm -hmm. them like that so uh, like i i've tried to learn from people who were so far beyond me like at, at previous jobs i've talked to like the c-suite and had regular meetings with them to try and learn from them but in that in those situations the gap was so distant that it didn't we i didn't see us as peers but i mm -hmm. i had never considered some like for someone who I saw as a peer and therefore a competitor, actually acknowledging them as better than me, then mm -hmm. going to befriend and work with them to learn from this peer who I saw as a competitor. That's just not a mindset that I had even considered until literally right now. So like, if anything else, I'm glad to take that away from this podcast because that's been actually, that's a really good takeaway. And yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. That's a good thing for me to think about. I mean, also Jordan, just, you know, one, one of the things you mentioned is the example you use being a physicist um, and looking at people. When you look at like the career of being a professorship, since like, especially since our friend Dan wants to be that, that happens to be a really cutthroat world where you have few positions. And so it kind of, naturally leads to competition but in reality there's a lot of things in life that you know i'm never going to be a professional dancer i'm not going to i'm not striving to do that and i'm being to learn saxophone i'm not going to be a professional saxophone player but and i think that might also be a key to it is it's freeing where you um unfortunately money and like you know what like is a big thing that thing that plays into it and so you're trying to get a really exclusive job that's going to be really hard but if you in a lot of things in life it's not as cutthroat yeah hmm. this has been a very interesting conversation so far yeah i i hope you enjoy it as much we as we have because i i feel like we're both really enjoying this it, uh, it's very informative very yeah, I've learned a lot about myself. Yeah. Do you guys have any addition? Like, what other questions do you guys have? Um, what are we? How are we on time? 
do you guys want to wrap up? I know you said like an hour. I kind of want to just kind of gauge what you want to do. I mean, it honestly, it depends. We've had some episodes as short as an hour, some as long as two. So it's kind of just based on everyone's energy level. And if people want to keep talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. If you have more questions, let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess one question that we very frequently ask is, so you are currently pursuing your dream, but in terms of what the highs and lows one could expect if you were pursuing that dream, like what have been your highs and lows in your pursuit? How are you so good at asking questions, man? Practice. <laughs> well, I, it's practice, and we also have like a computer off, like full disclosure. We have a computer off to the side with like a list of questions that, like, we like curated. At it. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> sauce. He revealed the special sauce to us. <laughs> oh, okay. What are some of my highs and some of my lows? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Ah, uh, uh, lows, lows, lows. Okay. I'll tell, I'll talk to you about, okay, can I change the question? Sure. I'll talk to you, instead of answering my highs and my lows, how about I answer my highest high and my lowest low? Even better. Would love that. Um... One of my lowest lows was mopping the floor. Well, I mean, at at like Yume or just like in general at another job or sorry. At Yume. Okay. I just hated mopping the floor. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And one day, Siyoshi uh, noticed how I get really upset with certain things that he was like, you're really getting that upset over mopping the floor? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, just, I'm like, whoa, like, what are, you, what are you, what are you asking of me? And then he was, and then, and then he was just like, and then he asked me to ask, he just like, he's like, can you tell me how you feel right now? And I was like, I just, I hate mopping the floor. It, it hurts my back. It's like gross. I just hate it and I hate doing this. And he's like, why do you hate it? Like so much, like why? And he's like, well, I was like, it hurts my back. And he's like, well, what, what can you do so it doesn't hurt your back? And he just looked at me for like three minutes without saying anything. And he just gave <laughs> me the time. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> It's like a Mr. Miyagi move. <laughs> right? And then I was just like, well, if I had, you know, like a longer, a longer one, it wouldn't hurt my back so much. And he's like, and he's like, please throw this mop away. Please go buy a longer one. Here's my credit card. I'm like, okay. So I went out to Ace and I found the best mop possible. 
And I was like, oh, this is nice. I was just like staying there for a good 15 minutes in Ace and just like, just like really examining all these mops, you know? <laughs> and I was like, which one should I buy? And I was like, wow, why am I putting so much work into buying? I was like, this, I'm using my boss's money. Like I have to buy a good mop. And after I figured out how to mop, like when I got that, and then I just figured out like, oh, my back doesn't hurt anymore. I was like, why do I hate mopping? I was like, oh, it's so dirty. And I was like, and I told him that. It's like, he's like, he's like, it's so dirty. I'm like, yeah, it's so dirty. And he's like, do you know who cleans the employee bathrooms? And I, and I go, no, who, who cleans it? He's like, you know how you can clean, you know, it's like, you know how you guys clean the customer bathroom every day and you make it really nice? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, have you ever cleaned the employee bathroom? I'm like, no. He's like, did you ever think to clean the employee bathroom? I'm like, no. He's like, why? I was like, because it's always so, like, this, it's the cleanest place in this building. And then he's just like, do you know who cleans that bathroom? And I was like, no. And he's like, I do. I clean this every day. And he's like, I stick my hand in the toilet where you pee to clean the bathroom. And I was like, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, he's like, I, he's like, I touch your pee every single day. And you think this is dirty? <laughs> and then I was, I started, I started dying. And I was like, okay. Like, you got me. And then the next day I was just like mopping. When I was mopping and thinking about that he touches my pee and he cleans the bathroom every day, I was like, you know what? This is great. And I was having the highest of highs. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and I, that's just like, you know, that was also an example of my relationship with Siyoshi, you know, and that is just one of the many examples of one of the lowest lows and the highest high. You know what I mean? Are, are those one and the same, both the lowest low and the highest high? Uh, the lowest the low and the high and the high, yeah, right? You have to go that low to get that high, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a thing, right? Like, if you're always baseline, you can only, right? It's the idea you can only, it's better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. You have to experience extreme Ooh. lows to be able to experience high highs. Poet here. <laughs> I'm so bad at words. I am not a poet <laughs> or a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Damn. I was happy to share that story. I don't think I really ever shared that story. You know? Yeah, it's no, like it was interesting to hear. You're digging up a lot of, like, moments. I always think of year one and year two. Those are, like, my training years. You know? And I forget a lot of things during those times. But as I advance in my skill level, and I think back to those times, I can start to see things that Siyoshi did that I couldn't comprehend back then. I'm slowly starting to comprehend them by myself through leveling up, if that makes sense. Oh, completely. One thing we've very much taught in both, both from our own experiences as well as the people we've talked to is that it's hard to... You won't always be in a place to process the lessons you're taught when they are taught to you. Sometimes 
the lessons you need to learn most, you learn years after they happen. Years at like, be, and that's because it's really hard to 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 know what you don't know. Like there, there's a as you advance in anything in life, there is a specific language. Like we, we think of language as what we generally use to talk about our day-to-day -day lives, but really it's a lot more than that. There is, there are the specifics of language of, in your case, mechanical engineering, in your case, ramen. It, there is very specific ways of thinking that you, you don't even have a conception for until you've reached a certain level. And it's, it's really hard to appreciate all the lessons you've been exposed to until not necessarily until it's too late but until you've reached the level to recognize yeah. what you really do know yeah and it's really enjoyable to experience that right i was i was always so focused on the destination i want to be making better ramen than Siyoshi that I could never really enjoy this moment right now. And when I started understanding, like practicing being in the moment, it's like, whoa, look at these noodles I made today. Whoa, like, why is the soup so ridiculous today? Or like, wow, today's pork, uh, raw pork that I got in this is the most marbled pork I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to cook this today. Like learning how to just enjoy that and not worrying about, oh, when am I going to be better than Siyoshi? Or when am I going to make the best ramen? Or when will my ramen live up to the, live up to Siyoshi's ramen? You know what I mean? Because it's, it's his ramen that I'm trying to replicate. Yeah, I think it's common when you have ambition to be laser focused on that end goal and not really appreciate everything that's happened along the journey. Mm. Like it, there's, it, it's, I think if you're ambitious, you have dreams and you're told to enjoy the journey it's a lot easier said than done because if there is a goal you have in mind, it's so easy to get wrapped up in everything that goal means to you and everything you know that goal entails. That it's, it's also very easy to fall into the trap of not realizing the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of steps you've taken along the way and how much you've grown along the way and also all of your accomplishments along the way like along the way to the final dream you've accomplished tens of thousands of dream in the mean dreams in the meantime and it's really easy to not just forget about those but even disregard those and i i think that at least from my own experiences the act of disregarding all those accomplishments can weigh down the journey and like honestly even take away from the final dream because you aren't appreciating what you're accomplishing along the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my Instagram 
like start off originally as a memoir to remember the accomplishments and like the good times because I'm very much suffer from being the hardest critic is yourself. Mm. That's true. So then, so how did you, did you, how, did, how have you guys gotten over that? A lot of therapy. <laughs> 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 no, um, like therapy has helped. Um, for me, actually, finding a community of people going through similar experiences. So I, I, I left my last job to try and become an entrepreneur. And that sucks. That is hard. And I mean, you are effectively that as well. Like you are a business owner, you are operating your own business. And as you've mentioned, it's lonely, it's difficult. And for me, um, not even regularly engaged, like as you mentioned about the friends that you talk to maybe once in your life, maybe once a mo month, maybe just once every so like once whenever it happens being able to be exposed to other people's experience of realizing how lonely it can be how hard it can be how overwhelming it can be to be faced with 10,000 choices and needing to make one like it's I feel that there's a lot that um, if you had infinite time, you could learn every experience and eventually learn your best way to make it through life. But we only have our own finite lives. And I think learning from others, hearing their experiences, sharing and experiences is the best way to get a true appreciation for your own experience because I feel it, it, it both provides camaraderie and also um, it helps provide context to show that the lows are to be expected and that the lows don't necessarily define the entirety of the journey. The entire journey is the lows and the highs and the in-betweens. And it's, it's easier to see that when you are sharing in other people's experiences who have taken the, a similar journey as the one you are hoping to take. That's been my experience. What about you, Tyler? I mean, just the way I approach life in general has been a very much, I try to establish a baseline, even if I don't want it to live life according to the baseline that I end up um, establishing. And I, do, I establish this baseline just by people who are similar to me, like you're saying, similar journey, but people who also live lives totally different to me. I, you know, I, one of the especially being a mechanical engineer, you become really good friends with the machinists and machine shops. They're blue collar workers. They're, you know, they work hard, but, and you're a white collar worker who gives them 
your drawings or and says like build this for me and so i've been luckily exposed to like a lot of different people from different backgrounds and i try to establish what is a baseline for life relationships friendships accomplishing goals hobbies i try to have an idea of what is in the realm of reasonable what is the realm of possible and i find that is grounding for me then to go off in a direction because then no matter what even if i fail which is going to happen in life i can come back to it and be like that's part of a journey and now i have a base point to jump off from and go in a different direction versus like i have failed i've gone back to rock bottom and i have no idea where to go and so that's that's helped a lot because there's been uh, hobbies I've started that I haven't continued. Like, for example, my friend Bethany, when I first said I was getting into dance and I thought I was going to do hip-hop dance, and she's like, come do swing dance with me. And what I ended up doing was I ended up doing house dance with my teacher, Sean, that I alluded to that we just did an interview with. And it was really his teaching style that drew me in. And But I would never have found that like right off the bat and like i'm going to do dance and i'm going to immediately find the dance teacher that's perfect for me i just went i like dance what do people do on youtube like how did they start off like you know talking to friends and tried a bunch of experiences and i'm like i'm going to try to find a direction and hopefully that direction suits me and it's okay if it doesn't i come back and try try a new direction and uh, also along with talking with people about it not just trying to establish a baseline is relating over these experiences, relating over these failures, over these journeys, that's the human condition. People like to talk about what they've been through and then hear what other people have been through. Yeah. And that's the reason why people go out and drink. They bitch about work. They bitch <laughs> about like problems going on in their life because they want to, they want to hear like, what is someone else's experience? Like, how do I get through this? Because the reality is we're on this like rock in space and it's hard. It's like, and that's, that's what part of the reason we founded the podcast is, you know, for obviously me and you wanted to do this for different reasons. Like my reason is I wanted to see more of that baseline. What is the jumping off point for people for being passionate or being passionate about things? And one thing, I mean, obviously I went in with the expectation that there is probably a baseline, but one thing I might find out over this journey is that there isn't a baseline. Everyone's experience is different, but that's still valuable. Um, so I guess that's kind of my opinion on it. So you so you realize that there is no baseline. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the dark truth behind like I want there to be a baseline like that. <laughs> like being an, being a engineer, being like right, you go back to Newton's three laws. You go back to like Maxwell's equations for electricity and magnetism. You want, I want there to be a baseline experience that everyone goes through that I can deviate from and find my journey. And what I found is there's lots of different experiences and, you know, it depends on where you've grown up, where you grew up, um, what you're exposed to, how your parents were, who your friends were, life events going on at the time, you know, the country you're born in. Like it's, and so it's just kind of like, well, Maybe there's a bunch of these different experiences and it, it's just, it's just going to sound really cheesy. 
like me being the poet, right? Like, like life is like a fucking box of chocolates. You don't know what you're gonna get. I'm just gonna quote for stuff right there. Wow. Wow. Damn. You know when you said, um, uh, if you stop doing this or you jump off of it, like, what are you gonna default to earlier, right? Like not start back at rock bottom. I was thinking about that when you said that. I kind of like made me ask myself, like, if I just let's say I woke up and like Yume was on fire, right? And the building's gone. Like, what do I do? And I, you know that you know, and I asked. I literally asked myself that question as I was listening to you. And when you said there was no baseline, it made me realize that when you do what you love, you're also doing other things that you love. When you do what you hate, you often are doing things that you hate, like driving and being in traffic for two to three hours a day, working a job you don't like. And then, you know, for example, but when you do what you love, you also have to have time to do other things that you love. So if I, if you may disappear and I couldn't make ramen anymore, what have I accomplished while following what I love and what my passion is? I started investing in photography to be um, like to market my brand. I started making videos to market my brand. I go to other restaurants and I want to be supportive of their restaurants and show that we have a community, you know what I mean? And I use my video skills and make promo videos for them and advertise them on my web. Like, you know, you see, I don't know if you follow me and you see me. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen it, yep. And, you know, I do that because it creates, you know, it promotes community and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm also investing my time in other skills. So if I stop doing like ramen and I have to hit rock bottom, You know, I can just be like a photographer or I can be like making videos and I can like have clients, you know, I can, you know, I've made all these free promo videos. I can just start making promo videos for all the new restaurants that are coming up because like, like you see how many new restaurants are coming up? Yep. Oh yeah. It's insane right now. Right. If you're a video maker or a photo maker and you can like be like a local video person, cause word of mouth, you know what I mean? Then you're, you're just making like these like videos and you can get paid for that. Or, you know, be a restaurant consultant. Like, I've worked in the restaurant industry for, like, six years now. Like, I, aside from making ramen, like, I handle payroll. I handle the permitting. I handle every single thing. Like, that's, like, a, I'm, running a, I'm running a business while learning how to cook ramen, while learning how to be, like, a good manager and a leader. You know what I mean? So, you like, when I talked about, like, I have 14 hours in a day, like, like it's like i have to like read this book on how to be an effective leader i have to work on being an effective leader i have to prep for ramen i have to make noodles not to run service and make sure that everyone's happy and food's quality after that i have to clean up the entire restaurant you know what i mean so it's just like you do so much right and the things that I do in my 14 hours while the cook is, while the soup is cooking for 14 hours 
is investing in my happiness. You know, Yumeo Katare's goal this year is investing in your happiness, meaning the time you spend doing something, is that investing in your happiness or not? You know, and this kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning of the conversation. How do you just like wake up and, you know, stop doing this, stop doing that? Simple. You ask yourself, is this investing in my happiness or not? If it is, like, keep on doing it. If it isn't, just stop doing it. I think for some people, there's there's a trap that they can fall into in some in pursuit of that idea, which it like the idea of delayed gratification, is where you're sacrificing your short term happiness for your long term happiness. I think that can there is legitimacy to that, but it can also be used as an excuse to never be happy like day one you sacrifice a penny day two you sacrifice a pound day three you sacrifice a like your home like it it it, it, it isn't inherently a slippery slope but mm-hmm. I, I think there can often be maybe not even often but there can be a tendency to use the sacrifice happiness now for the future, use that meant as an excuse to justify not pursuing your own happiness. Because, I mean, as you are definitely fully aware, like really going hard into your happiness and sacrificing like your time, your priorities to dedicate to your dream, you are sacrificing a lot. And that, the idea of something something that came up in last episode was the idea of giving up something you love to focus on something you love more because there's only so much time in the day that if you really love something you have to give up some of the things you love less in order to pursue that thing you love more because given our finite lifespans finite time in the day we have to prioritize and sometimes it can be easier to give excuses for why we aren't prioritizing and say that I'm pursuing this to, pr- to provide for myself in the future, which again, there are legitimate cases where you want to do that, but it can also become an excuse. Well, Well, I was going to say, I think building off both that one thing um, is I think a lot of people mistakenly, like if you're on this journey and the point is the journey, going back to what we were saying, a lot of people focus on just the end goal and you're not appreciating the steps along the way. And maybe one one idea I had was, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about their identity, they identify with that end goal. But are you and like, obviously... Jake identifies with making this delicious noodle dish, but like you could also identify with the various steps that make up that being a photographer, you know, being a promoter for other brands. And so, you know, it's, it's, yes, you are sacrificing your, your short-term happiness for long-term happiness, but there is happiness along the way, right? You are, you could choose to identify not just, just with the end goal, but also with, the achievements you've made along the way. 
Yeah, because like when you when you sacrifice these things, you you uh, the way I see it in my mind is you rank up to another level, and when you rank up to another level, the person that you become at that level, for me, no longer finds value in the things that I considered a sacrifice at one point. It goes from sacrifice to, wow, that wasn't really that valuable to me after all. You know, and if it was valuable to me, it, if something is really valuable to me, it does not become a sacrifice. You know, um, yeah, it does not become a sacrifice because go, going out drinking Friday and Saturday night with my friends, like that was a sacrifice. I remember I told Siyoshi that at one point and he's just like, well, he's like, your day's off for what? Uh, Sunday, Monday, and now Monday, Tuesday, right? Why don't you just find friends that will go out with drinking with you on Monday and Tuesday? He said, <laughs> and I was like, that's an easy solution. <laughs> and that's when I was like, you know, like this always an easy solution to something. But finding that easy of a solution is really hard, you know? Um, and that's how I was like, well, yeah. So now, you know, I always have people to drink with me on my days off. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Damn. Very, like, insightful perspective. Like, I really like this uh, podcast. Like, the questions and uh, so far really... Uh, thought-provoking yeah glad you liked it yeah what else you got (laughs) (laughs) um well well in interest of time what uh do you feel like we missed anything or you like was there a vision you had for the podcast that you felt like, you know how early you're like, hey, can you guys talk about the dream concept? And I was like, oh, shit. Let me, let me talk about that real quick. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, to just wrap things up a bit, um, the question we typically end with is for someone who has an inkling of desire to pursue the same path you did, what would you recommend to someone who wants to get started taking the same journey you've taken? (laughs) Sorry, Jay. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, I don't even know how to answer this question, man. It's so good. Um... I mean, it's like, like the, my general answer is just do it, right? Like just literally just do it um, and see what happens. Like don't think, just do. Um, another, another example of that would be, um, and you've heard it in popular media, um when the boss asks you to do something say yes then figure it out later right 
So when you are pursuing whatever you're trying to pursue, just say yes to it and then figure it out, right? So most people, the hardest part is taking that leap of faith is, yeah. you know, and whatever you need to do to build the confidence to take that leap of faith, start there. Um, for me, for example, I used to really care what people thought of me. I used to really care about my appearance. How every time I left the house, I had to have my hair styled. If I didn't have it styled, I would not leave the house. And that was just like my younger years. And, you know, I really cared about what people thought about me. And then one day I decided, oh, man, I really need to figure this out. Like, how do I get over this? And I, <laughs> I literally just went onto a train and just laid down on the floor. Everyone was looking at me. They're like, what the hell is this guy doing? The first four minutes were intense. After four minutes, when I, as I did it for 10 minutes, after 10 minutes, I got up and left. And I asked myself, did anything bad happen to me? No. Am I still alive? Yes. Those people that are on the train, are they going to care about that tonight when they're at home and with their families? Maybe. And if they do, they'll have a laugh about it. But other than that, like I've, like when I've gone on the train and I see something weird or something happens, like I'm like, whoa, that's weird. And then I don't really think about it for the rest of the day. I don't really care about it. I'm like, you know, like, oh, whatever. So in realizing that, when I did that, it like really unlocked like uh, inner confidence for me. And that's something that, you know, is really important to me uh, is developing your inner confidence because there's like three types of confidence. The other two is like appearance, like how you look and like your stat, like the other one is like status, like lifestyle confidence where, you know, your job or your car, materialistic things make you confident. But if you strip those things away from you, all you got left is your inner confidence and not a lot of people develop their inner confidence. So when I laid down on the subway, that was me developing my inner confidence, you know, and, and, and I know it's weird, but that's, that's what was effective for me. And one thing that I started to learn in life when I started this out in this journey is that I used to think really black and white. This is bad. This is good. Instead, I started changing my perspective to what is effective, what is ineffective, right? And not associated with bad or good. So when I said, oh, wow, this is more effective for me, let me go down that path. So for the people that are like trying to figure out what they want to do, you know, develop your inner confidence. Is this what you really want to do? You have to like sit down and have a chat with yourself. Is this what you want to like dedicate your life to? Like, like, is this your uh, vocation, you know? You decide your vocation. And once you decide that vocation, you know, I learned this from Jiro, I Dream of Sushi. He says that you need to dedicate your entire life to this vocation if you want to be good at it. So 
you know, once I made that decision, it's like everything kind of just like fell in place. You know, it's like a, it's like a, it's very similar to how I feel when I survived in the woods for um, a couple months. Like you, it's a do or die situation. Like you have to find water. You have to hike to the closest supply of water so that you can have water to drink and water to boil your food and survive and eat. If you don't get a supply of water, you're most likely going to die. It was kind of like that situation. So every day, like that's the mentality that I had when I was in the woods. I was like, I have to hike this, these 10 miles right now. If I do not hike these 10 miles, I'm not going to be any near any water and I will die. So when you decide your vocation, it's like, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do that. If I do not do these things, I will die. Like I have the mentality that I will still die because I lived in the woods. You know what I mean? So, you know, like you really have to dedicate your entire whatever and whatever other sacrifices that you, it's okay. Like, it's okay that I don't want kids. I never want kids personally. Because the reason why is because I don't think I'll be a good father because I don't think I have the time to dedicate. And like, and I really want to be a good father. I want, so when I work at Yume, like I view all my employees as my kids, you know? You know, that's how, that's how I got over that hurdle too. But yeah, just build the confidence and just, just go for it. Just do it. That's it. To, to quote Nike branding or also Shia LaBeouf, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. No, that's, that's really tr honest true like if if you don't take the dive now it's easy to continue pushing pushing the buck further and further down the line so yeah i very much feel that um, but the funny thing is i i you can't apply that to everyone right yeah like if you, some people, are, they have kids, they have a wife, they have a family, that all these things, right? And that's perfectly fine. Like that's, that's, you got to do what you got to do to provide for your family, right? But, yeah. you know, like I decided that I don't want kids because I know I won't be a good father. And in realizing that, it unlocked me to focus on being really good at something right um you know i decided that i don't you know want um to have like many friends because i don't have the time to dedicate my time to hang out with people and being a good friend i just don't have that time so it's not really a sacrifice anymore and you know, and the people that can't do that because they got friends or like they got family and they got other like obligation, like that's okay too. But at least you don't have to sacrifice everything you do, but at least take the leap to go towards something you love that's not so risky. Reduce the risk and do something a little less risky, you know? Yeah. Well, I was just, yeah, building on that, I just think it's like, it's not always like, you know, you the sacrifice, like you're saying, sacrifice everything for one thing. There is there's a scale to this. And like, you know, one of them is 
some days I just have trouble getting started at work and I just now have a routine where it's just like I put on um, lo-fi music and then I just open up like a PDF about something I have to read just so I get started. And the only sacrifice I'm making there is I get off Reddit. Like that. (laughs) But it's, it's, I'm just saying there's a scale to it, right? It doesn't have to be... You know, that's so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, so actually, to uh, to touch on something from a previous episode, uh, when we were interviewing our friend who became a bartender, he he was talking about how he left banking to become a bartender when he was twenty three, before he had a family, before he had kids, and he was talking about how when he was young, single, and naive, like he could leave the stability for a risky dream because no one was depending on him. If he was to do, he, he even mentioned, if he was to do that now in his th- mid thirties, when he has a wife, he has a kid, he has a, like, he, there are people in his life that he needs to, like, it's not just him taking care of himself. He is integrated into more something more than just him it it impacts the risks you can take and in those situations like it's understandable what you can and cannot do you you do what you can do um but at the same time like i as you were saying there is a spectrum of risk and there's a spectrum of sacrificing happiness for risk risk for happiness and and those two things aren't necessarily linked you can potentially like you can there is the potential to take not that much risk but increase your happiness significantly and i think if you think of your life in those terms that what actions can i take to increase my happiness in the day-to-day as well as the long term without necessarily risking what's important to me. Like, how can I minimize the risk of what's important to me now for the long term? I think if you are in a situation where there's a lot of dependent, uh, of things that are dependent on you right now, there still is the opportunity for happiness. Mm. And, and that that's honestly kind of what I, that is one of the things I want to touch on in this podcast in general. Like, what are the potential paths to happiness for people in any walk of life. Well, so I think it goes back to what Jake was saying earlier. It's not, it's not black and white. It's what is effective for me. What, you know, I have this idea of what I want to be. What steps can I take that increment my happiness day to day and long-term towards that goal? Not, you know, society says I should do this. Society says I should do that to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, wow. You guys can articulate these things so so well. <laughs> we try, we try. We're getting more practice every week. Every interview, we get oh, more practice. It's so good to hear like uh in a different perspective, you know what I mean? Like I love that so much. Wow, thank you. We love it too. Thank you very much for joining us today, Jade. It has been amazing. We have loved having you on and hearing your story. I was just going to say, just building on the idea of like friends 
you know, go away from apart for a while and then come back together, we definitely, I think, should like in the future do another episode with you, like, <laughs> you know, okay. being, um, yeah. Our oh, 100th God. episode. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, my first podcast that I did, can we go off, off, off script now? Like, oh. Off. Yeah, we're, 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 we're yeah, yeah. We we have no harsh script. You you say whatever you want. No, no. Can like we go off screen like this? The, the, after this is not going to get published. Oh, um, just wrapping things up. Thank you very much for having. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us, Jake. And everything after this, off the record. Well, on that note, uh, that is it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it if you leave a comment on your platform of choice. Or if you take us out for a night on the town. Or if you wrote us a heartfelt letter. Sometimes the old-fashioned way is the best way. <laughs>